this evening is Wednesday. It is June 24th, uh, exactly one day before Cody's birthday. He asked me to keep it quiet so y'all don't tell anybody, okay? And Miss Pat's birthday. Very special. We're going to have Cody jump out of Pat's cake. <laughs> Somebody go find a very, very big cake. Um, so our message this evening is called Little by Little. Uh, or if you're from South Louisiana like me, Little. Little, like it's got D's in it. Little by Little. Turn with me to Exodus 23. Wow. Dead silence. There, there you go, brother. I just want y'all to know that Jeremy beat you all there. Uh, sounds like pretty badly. Oh, yeah. Now they say. Lisa, Lisa's got that quiet look like confident. I'll get him on the next one. All right, y'all ready for his, uh, Exodus 23? Yes. Exodus 23, starting in the 27th verse. I will send my terror ahead of you and th throw into confusion every nation you encounter. Ever wonder why the whole world hates uh, Israel? Mm -hmm. Here and in many places, one time in Deuteronomy, God actually says every nation on the planet, he said every nation on the earth will fear you. That might be the basis for anti-Semitism right there. But that's not our topic tonight. He said he's going to send terror ahead of them. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Very similar to salvation, many giants fall immediately. Some of you were such slaves to so many areas in your life, like I was, that the moment you were saved, certain things just went away from you. I'll tell you one for me. I had done push-ups for years Every time I said a curse word, trying to break myself from cursing, all I did was gain the ability to do hundreds of push-ups but could not quit cursing. The moment Jesus spoke to me and I prayed, Lord, change me, that filthy mouth left me. It was not hard. was not difficult. A giant in my life fell that moment. But not every giant in my life fell that moment. And when we're standing and we're thinking about salvation, so many things happen right away. Your, your salvation sees giants fall in a single day, and sinful ways are in terror of being driven out, but it never happens immediately. It's a very difficult process. It requires Jesus to increase His nature in us and drive out the enemies so that we take possession of our inheritance. The difficulty in this process has value. You ever give a teenager a car? Were you a teenager given a car? Yes. Well, I bet you remember the first time you had to make a payment on your own car, huh? Yeah. There is an enormous difference between just being given something and being made to strive for it. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 7. Sometimes we strive against these giants in our lives that the Lord has said he would drive out. He said He would put terror of us in them. So we know that when we resist the devil, he flees. We know that we have the power to count our sinful nature dead, and yet, because it does not die immediately, and because some areas are more difficult to put down than others, it's easy to learn to compromise. It's easy to learn to just kind of accept it as there. To make statements. Like, well, you know, as long as we live in this flesh, we're going to sin. Mm. To misapply scriptures like Romans 7 and say, well, you know, even Paul did the things he didn't want to do as if it's an excuse for you to not do what God has told you to do. We come up with crafty excuses like, you don't understand my situation. We make ourselves unique, special martyrs upon the earth. 
What has happened to me this day? And this day, it's like nobody has to deal with this. Completely unaware that the entire world is dealing with a situation unique to them. I have never heard a sob story that was not topped by someone else's. It is an amazing thing. He said, but wait a minute, Eric, the last one had to top them all. No, I'm just waiting till tomorrow. No matter how bad your week was, somebody's was worse. And there is no excuse to not do what God has said to do. And yet that doesn't help us do it, does it? It really doesn't. So look at Deuteronomy 17. We'll start in verse 7. You may say to yourself, Silk, Deuteronomy 17, 7. You may say to yourselves, Self, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? Is there no area of your life that you have been fighting to drive out so long that now you're not even sure it's possible? Are you saying things like, I have so many promises in my life that are yet unfulfilled? God told Israel, you will go into this land, I have given it to you. The problem is there's seven nations in it, all of whom have Rephaites and Anakites in them, and you have to kill them all and take it from them. Generation after generation went by, and they had still never done it completely. Do you look at Israel and allow them to blame God for the unfulfilled promises? Do you? Or are you pretty quick to go, golly, if they'd just be faithful... If they would just be faithful, then they would get what... Well, why are you different? Do we charge God with error rather than accept it ourselves and say, maybe I'm not being obedient in every area I should? Maybe the counsel I've been given, I disdain. Maybe the very things God has said to do, I've done but not well. And maybe it's just not His timing. And that makes Him God and not me. You know, if God moved according to your timetable, if he moved according to your likes and dislikes, if he moved when you told him to, that would not be the God that I would want to follow. Sometimes I don't even want to do those things for you. What makes him God is that it works according to his plan. You were supposed to be being led into an area you've never been to before. But Israel found themselves in this position. One scripture spoken years before they go in the land. The other is days before they go in the land. And God is saying to them, if you say to yourself, these nations are stronger than we are, how can we drive them out? This is not much different than us who have been saved for years. Saying, but you know, oh, the whole time I've been saved, I've had this problem with anger. The whole time I've been saved, I've been subject to depression. The whole time I've been saved, I've had this or that or the other. It's not any different than what we're going to read here. There is an overwhelming, mighty testimony that you have that no one else has. It's unique to you. God saved you. Listen to what he says. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well. Not just remember. Remember well. How do you remember something but not remember it well? Doesn't this seem like a strange phrase? Do you remember? Yes, I remember. Do you remember well? Well, I'm not sure. What does it mean to remember well? It means for it to be on the forefront of your mind. Not some distant recesses of the corners of your mind on the forefront of your thoughts. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Why would Israel have confidence that they could drive out these seven Canaanite nations? Because without picking up a sword or doing anything for themselves other than what God told them to do, they had already seen death pass over, Red Sea split, and all of Pharaoh's armies drowned in the sea. Said, but that's them. Whatever areas remain in your life unfulfilled, whatever inheritance that is yours that you have yet to possess, you have already seen that which you do possess. I have known some of you long enough now to see such progress in your life that if you met yourself years ago, you would not like yourself. But you thought you were wonderful then too. Just like me. 
What reason do you have to believe that God can finish this process that we're going to name sanctification? Look what he has already done. But yeah, it's been 30 years. Quit your whining. It'll take 2,000 years to put his nation together if it brings him glory. So, but mine's so much harder than his. You never read the last chapters of John? Go argue with Peter and John. You don't understand. I don't have to. I don't have to. It's not up to me to understand, and my understanding won't help you or hurt you. You're whining. You're complaining. You're charging God with error. You're refusing to do what He says to do. That'll hurt you. Every time Israel failed to drive out one of these, every time, it meant that they went through another cycle, usually 40 years long, of oppression. The very people that were supposed to be under their feet put Israel under theirs. So that you have men like Gideon hiding in threshing floors. A man that God says is a mighty warrior was on his face groveling and hiding. How was your week? Mine was good too, thank you. We were made to walk on the mountain heights, saints. said, but he pointed this out in my life. Good, he loves you. You know, it is an enemy that multiplies his kisses. A friend will wound you. You hear me? A friend will wound you. Best things that have ever happened in my life is a righteous man slap my face. I had an unrighteous man slap my face too, in and out of the kingdom. It says a lot about you how you act in those scenarios. Deuteronomy 17, or 717. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. Tell me, the day after you were baptized, were you convinced God was good? Yes. Were you filled with power? Yes. The day after you were baptized, were you excited about all that He had done in your life? Yes. What's changed, you or Him? Because the Word says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it's been so long. What's changed, you or Him? You think He needs to be renewed? He needs to repent? He needs to gain a new perspective? You think He needs to refresh Himself? Or do you think you might need those things? Saints, I don't know. I'm not allowed to bet. It's not in my nature. It's in my nature. That's why I'm not allowed to do it. Not in my new nature. But I'm going to bet that God is fine just the way He is and you might need to change. And I might need to change. You be careful how long you wallow in self-pity. It will kill you faster than the devil himself will. It shows such contempt for what God has already done. How many times has He given you the new job? The job that if you got that job, you'd be so happy. The house that if you got that house, you'd be so happy. The car that if I could just have that car. If I could just see this one person saved. Lord, if you would just hear me from heaven this one time, they'd get filled with the Holy Ghost or they'd get healed. Then, are you happy? How long did you stay happy? Or is God your genie? And your happiness is dependent upon Him doing what you want. I have noticed something. In... Lots of relationships, whether it is a wife to a husband or an employee to an employer or a tenant to a landlord or a servant to his king. We have a tendency to only be happy when we think the authority over us is treating us well. Let's just surmise for a minute that maybe they were put in authority over you because they knew something better than you did. That's right. Are your students only happy when the teacher does the lesson plans the way they like them, then why aren't they teaching the class? Sometimes, saints, we just need to examine our position and admit we've said these nations are too strong for us, and we've blamed God for it. And the desert that we're feeling might not be God's fault. It might be ours. The Lord your God, uh, pick up 19. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. Whatever you are now, you are in Egypt no longer. 
You may have remnants of Egypt in you, but you're in Egypt no longer. Whatever you are now, you are not what you were. I was a lost young man and Patricia was a lost lady. She taught me to dance the cotton-eyed Joe at a party. The cotton-eyed Joe. Doesn't that sound fun? Yeah, how about that? There's only a couple people that are country music fans that even know what that is. If you understood how difficult it is for me to dance, you would know what a service this was. We are not those people anymore. If I met that guy, I would not even like him. And he certainly would not like me. For all of my imperfection, for all of my problems, I have been brought out of Egypt, and that gives me hope that the rest of Egypt can be brought out of me. Verse 20. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them, so that even the survivors who hide from you have perished. I didn't read that right, did it? Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. I want you to understand this. Our sinful nature is supposed to be on the run from the righteousness that God has put in us. Not standing its ground, not advancing. It is supposed to be running and hiding from the penetrating light of God that you are putting in yourself daily. And our God promises that He will find it wherever it hides so that He can kill it. <laughs> Come on, say, say wherever it hides. Wherever it hides. Don't aid and assist the enemy by helping it hide. The very best quality that you could have as a Christian, the singular best quality that you could have is sober judgment of yourself that says, this is weakness and sin. I'm sorry, I'm trying. Help me kill this giant. It's the very best quality you could have. You can be arrogant and get away with it. You could be self-sufficient and get away with it. You could be sinful in a hundred areas, but there is hope for you if you recognize those areas and will accept help. But when you clam up, withdraw. When you stand your ground and say it's not true. When you hate everyone and say they are wounding you when they are trying to help you, you are condemning yourself to the position you are in now. I pick at the idea of American Christianity so often that people could misunderstand. They could get the idea that I think we are somehow better than someone else. Not so. When I say something like, why do you go to a church? For donuts? It's not that I'm against donuts. We have them here. For a coffee shop? I am not against coffee shops. If you'll build it, I will drink at it. <laughs> the question is, why are you embracing God? Why are you embracing His people? Is it because you are painfully aware that you are flawed and you would like to be perfected in His presence? Or are you good like you are? See, we name this life-changing ministries with no exceptions. Not my favorite student, not me, not my wife, and not the first person to walk through the door. Life-changing ministries. And friends, He has been changing our lives. We've had some rough interactions, some of you and me. Sometimes I didn't handle things well. And you know what? It was blessed anyway. And the reason that it was blessed anyway is we have one singular aim. That nobody be the way that they were when they came here when they leave. Not to be wonderful friends, although I hope that happens. It's not that you will send me birthday cards, although I like those all right. And I bet Cody would too. Just a little hint. His church has become his family. I have one singular aim that when you stand before the king, I had contributed to your life in some way by seeing an area changed. A nation driven out, a giant fallen. Look at verse 21. Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. Do you understand the fundamental problem when we get into these situations is we are debating within our soul whether God is great or awesome. 
Now, we never say that. We acknowledge with our lips, oh, no, he's great and awesome. The problem is just this or that. What are you really saying? He's not as great and awesome as this is pressing in my life. Well, I know he's great and awesome and he's good, but it's Matthew's the problem. If it's Matthew, it's okay. If it's me, you know, correct yourself. No, I'm kidding. You understand, we know better than to charge God with fault, so we don't do it on purpose, but our actions do it. It's not okay. It's never okay. Nor is it okay to leave some area of your life hidden and not driven out. He told you to take possession of the whole land. He said, but I've been trying and it's not working. He also said it would be a process, little by little. You understand little by little might mean that you gain a quarter of an inch a day, but you're supposed to be gaining something. Mandy was fortunate enough to run a marathon. I have no idea what her time was. It's unimportant. You know what I wanted to know? Did you finish? You know, 10 years from now, do you think that she'll even remember what her time was or that she finished what she started? I'm asking you something, saints. Will you finish what God has started? Or have you reached a place where you're comfortable with what you've got? See, that's such a dangerous place to be. That's where the nation of Israel was when John the Baptist showed up. And they thought that they were good. And John the Baptist basically accused them of not being any better than the rocks. Because from rocks he could raise up people who were descendant from righteous men. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you, little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. Did you hear that? You will not be allowed to. Lord, why am I made to struggle with this? Because it's good for you. But Derek doesn't have to struggle with this. You want to be God? Or would you like him to keep his job? You want to run God out of his job? You be right and him be a liar? He said he would not allow Israel to eliminate their enemies at once. Now, knowing what you know about God, that must be because it would not be good for Israel to eliminate them all at once. Come on now. You like the guy that you see in athletics that works very, very hard for a long time and finally achieves something great? Or the one that was born with such immense talent that they are an arrogant jerk and you can't stand to be around them? Which one most closely resembles your life? See, if you eliminated every obstacle all at once, none of us would like you very much. That is the path to self-sufficiency, self-righteousness. That is what creates the image people have of Pharisees. Although the Pharisees were truthfully more righteous than that. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. <laughs> For you, they might multiply within you. The sinful nature is an animalistic, evil, brute beast. And if God did everything for you as easily as you would like for Him to do it, you would call it righteousness and your sinful nature would be ruling your life. You'd be just a little bit better than everyone else. Throwing them, let's see. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them into great confusion until they are destroyed. The kingdom is about throwing the enemy into confusion so that you can destroy it. Well, how does that happen? In your mind, have you never had a perfect way that things should work out? How often has God done it that way? And it leaves you baffled and confused. And yet, when it does work out and it's immeasurably better than you could have asked for or imagined, the sinful nature is confused and in your spirit, you're confident that God is God and He is right and He is worth following. He throws that part of you that is evil into confusion because He refuses to let flesh glory in His presence. He refuses to do it the way you think it ought to be done because that would make you dictating to Him. Uh, you may just never have been in a position of authority. I don't know. But I can tell you, if I sense a rebellious spirit, even if you are right, I will not do it the way that you want to do it. And that's godly. Even if it doesn't feel like it to you. 
Our God will make sure that you understand, respect, and flow in his authority. You do not tell him what to do. He tells you what to do. By the way, people are fond of quoting Job and saying that their life is like Job. Go read the book again. Go read the book again. Sit down in one day and read it. Don't read it a chapter at a time. Don't spread it out over six months. Don't tell me you can't read it in a day. Look what happened to him in the first four chapters in one day in his life. Don't tell me you can't do it. If you can't suffer to read through the book of Job in a day, then you're not worth mentioning Job in the same sentence with you. You think your friends are bad? Go read the book of Job. Husbands, you may not like the way your wife treats you, but has she told you today to curse God and die? Why you were scraping yourself with a pot? Because you had painful sores all over your body? After your sons and their wives and families were killed with fire from heaven? Next time somebody says, man, that's like Job. You watch yourself. I wouldn't invite that into my life if I were you. Because I suspect that if you're not doing good with the test you have now, you certainly would not bear up under Job's test. And by the way, did God come and pat him on the fanny and say, Job, I love you so much. You're such a wonderful guy. I'm sorry you've been mistreated. Was it more difficult for you than the others? I never meant for that. Or did he say, brace yourself like a man that I might question you? Didn't he push Job to the point where he said, Behold, I'm vile. I spoke up once, even twice, but I'm not going to do it a third time. Go read Job 38. Many years into salvation, lingering enemies of your faith and sinful desires of your flesh may have warred against your righteous soul until you have begun to believe that they simply cannot be thrown down. The same God who saved you, delivered you from Egypt, delivered you from the Pharaoh and his chariots, is with you today. He will help you to drive them out. It's just a process. It's little by little. Remember well, remember well what the Lord has already done. He will deliver them over to you until even those that are hiding in the corners of your sinful nature have been driven completely from you. Turn with me to Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20, you will be in the 21st verse. Tell me when you're there. A young man came into our church. I cared for him deeply because I saw in him potential. I made a mistake. I did not allow him to work. I did not allow him to yearn and hurt. I thought it would be such a travesty if he slept in his car for a night that I didn't allow it. So our ministry spent well over $1,000 getting him set up. And when he stole the furniture out of the room, we provided for him and disappeared, never to be heard of again. The day after he was baptized, I found a scripture that I've read many times and did not remember reading even once. 2021. An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. <laughs> Why? You are supposed to have to fight. You are supposed to struggle. It is supposed to hurt. It is supposed to be but for the grace of God that you survived it so that when you do, you cherish it. <laughs> A lot of you that know me. I had a three-month period where I lost 67 pounds. Three months. Oh, yeah. I said, wow, great. Woo! God helped me do it. I thought nothing of gaining back 70 pounds. You know why? It only took me three months to lose 67. It was easy. Why didn't everybody do this? I didn't say it. I'm smarter than that. But I thought, something must be wrong with y'all because this was really not that hard. And somebody else said, I'm struggling following those same. I thought... You're cheating. That's what you're doing. After gaining it back, like Gusto said, but not quite as spiritual, it came back with seven of its brothers. It was harder to lose the next time. But I still did it. And so I gained it again. This time I cherish it a lot more. Because what I did in three months the first time has taken me 
over a year this time and still not there. What do you think will make the bigger impact on me 10 years from now? So how dare you preach about weight gain and loss? Don't you know what that does? I don't care. I don't. I really don't. I love you all. But if I had to worry about every sensitivity in the room, I'd not be allowed to preach. I'm telling you how God has affected my life. We talk about hair loss, but I don't want to hurt Darren or Matthew. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is if you prayed for a child for 14 years, if you hurt and cried and prayed every day for 14 years when that child comes, it's different than the couple that conceived on their honeymoon. I promise you it is. So every life is special. Well, I'll tell you what, which mother would you rather fight to babysit their kid? I knocked out a kid's teeth that his mama had prayed for him for, God, I don't know, since Methuselah was on the earth. And I didn't know what a biblical Leviathan was, but I met one that day. When you pray and struggle and fight for something for years, and it hurts and it's hard, you don't think you can do it, but by the grace of God, it finally happens. It is more special to you than anything else on the earth. I stood with a brother the other night trying to explain how I felt about this ministry and why it consumes my heart and my life. For 16 years, it has been on my mind every day. I've suffered for it. I've bled for it. I've been abused publicly for it. So it means an awful lot to me. Would not have felt that way if it had come in the first month of my salvation. Now, I thought I was ready. I would have convinced you I was ready. And something was wrong with you and not me. It's probably you standing in the way of me receiving what God had told me. What all these years have brought is the clarity to know that it was me in my own way. So if you'd got it right, would it come quickly? No. Little by little. He did it in spite of me. Trust me to Luke 15. Look at the 11th verse. Tell me when you're there. This process of little by little, gaining your inheritance but not in a single day is called sanctification. And it is a process because if it were done all at once, it would be a snare to you. Israel was told over and over and over, when you do get in the land, don't say it's by my own strength and arm I did this. It's because I was righteous. It's because of my integrity. The only reason God had to tell them that is because that's what they would do and what you would do. And guess what? Even though it was a struggle, they still did all of those things. The things that we sacrifice for are the things that we value. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. If your Bible says this is the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son, you know, you can call it that if you want. I think it's the story of the father. The sons are pretty wretched, both of them. You learn more about the father's character in this parable than you do the son's. But in any case. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I don't have time to teach you what an insult that was. Dad, it's like you're dead. Give it to me now. I don't value you alive as much as I value your stuff if you're dead. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. Then he had a lot, too. Set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. The prodigal son is an excellent example of the truth of the proverb I read to you. An inheritance quickly obtained in the end will not be a blessing. All men tend towards self-sufficiency and being in constant need of mercy and divine intervention keeps the self-righteous sin nature on the run where it is supposed to be. One of the men that I love the most, that I thought still think, not thought, past tense, think, has the holiest walk of anyone that I know, is one of the first to tell you right up front that he struggles with some pretty horrible things. That if you announce to the whole church world, they go, are you kidding? And I am telling you, he is one of the most righteous men that I know. But he is more full of mercy than any man that I know. 
Friends, it'll be shown to you in the way that you show it to others. I guarantee it. He's humble so that God's power can work through him precisely because he does not have every area of his life conquered yet. Turn with me to 1 Peter 3.8. We're going to get into the process of sanctification here. Am I preaching to anybody out there? Yes. Because I want to tell you, I put together chairs today. I goofed off with my family today. I read the Word today. I drank lots of coffee today. I did all kind of things today. But when I sat down and said, come on, Lord, I need some help. What is it that you want them to know today? I opened my Bible. I've been reading Deuteronomy anyway. But when I opened my Bible, little by little, jumped off the page at me. And as I began to study, I know the difference between when I have to work to put a message together and when the Holy Ghost says, this is what you and they need, speak it. First Peter 3.8 Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Boy, that's a mouthful right there. There's no more disappointing thing to hear that there's factions at times, even in our church body, even in our homes. Live in harmony with each other. Couldn't be a simpler statement in the Bible and could not be a harder thing to do. Some of you that are married know that you love your spouse more than anything else. You're not married and you got pets. I bet you love your pets an awful lot. But there's not harmony all of the time. It is hard to merge two wills together. Very, very hard. You know what it requires? It requires you to put to death your sinful nature. Say, but they need to... But they... But... But... But, no, it's required of you to put to death your sinful nature. It's funny, when you hear about conflict, it happens. Each person tends to focus on what the other did wrong. Isn't that funny? What I hear as a pastor, what Matthew is very good at pointing out is, if this person had stopped, prayed, said, brother, let's stop right here. This is not how we should act. The whole thing would have ended. But the story never goes that way. It was, I was silent, and they did this, and they did that. And then finally, I. We don't serve in a passive army. Holiness is not about not doing anything. Holiness is about when everything is going against God's plan and against your way, you stand for God's plan. Holiness is about when the entire crowd wants to crucify somebody, you stand up and say, forgive him. Even if truthfully you'd like to see him crucified. Yeah. Remember times I've been sitting in front of a husband and wife? She said, he did this, this, and this. And they're mad because I want to show mercy. What would you like, sweetheart? I could hold him down and beat him to death for you right here. About half of me would like to do that. But what would it accomplish? Now you just have a beaten sinner sitting there. Would you rather a restored man that has the possibility of being a saint or a bloody sinner? And if you'd rather the bloody sinner, what does that say about you? Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Bear gifts. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult for insult. I guess we don't even have to add to that. But with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. You know, God says to Israel ten times in the book of Deuteronomy alone, do not be frightened. Do not be afraid. Ten times. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. If you're reading another translation, it might say sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have goes on to tell you how to do this. He says, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. What is amazing is these words, set apart, are in reality one Greek word. Now, in this sentence, it's a verb being used. 
But the verb comes from a noun. The pastor in San Antonio would like to hear this. <laughs> the noun for holy, which is where this verb comes from, that I'm going to tell you what that word is. The noun for holy is hagios. Hagios. It corresponds to a Greek word called kodesh. Q-A-D-O-S-H. They have the same meaning. They're cognates of each other. The really cool thing is that in this passage, the verb that is there is hagiadzo. Hagiadzo. And it means to make holy or to set apart to make holy. It signifies sanctifying something. It is the absolute opposite of koinios, common. It is to divide that which is common from that which belongs to Christ. That setting apart is making something holy. When you look at these words, and we're going to, when you look at them throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're intrinsically related. You cannot have something holy that is not set apart, and you cannot rightly divide something and not end up with holiness. In fact, God has been doing this since the very beginning. Turn with me to Genesis 2. If you want a Strong's number so that you can look up Hagiadzo, it is the New Testament Greek verb number 37 in your Strong's concordance. In Genesis 2, verse 3, And God blessed the seventh day, and made it holy because he rested from all of his work of creating that he had done. The words translated made it holy. All three words are in reality one word in the Hebrew text. It is Strong's number 6942. Q-A-D-A-S-H. Slightly different than the word I'd given you earlier because it's a verb and not a noun. Quadash. To be holy, to sanctify, to set apart. In the Older Testament, this verb appears 175 times. Sometimes it's translated consecrate. Sometimes it's translated holy. Sometimes it's translated sanctify. But it means to divide something so that it is set apart and made holy. Think about this in the light of the context that is just mentioned in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earthless earth was or had become formless and void. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. There was light. And He separated it from the darkness. From the very beginning, God has been interjecting something that He calls His light into the creation at large and into you. And that that He injects His light, His word, His presence, His substance is supposed to create a division between that which is of Him and that which is common, ordinary, sinful, natural. The rabbis say that he separated light from darkness on the first day and all of the rest in Scripture is simply commentary on how to do it. He is making the earth holy. He's sanctifying it. The day that he brought you out of Egypt, he put his presence in you to begin a process, a process of division. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, but division. I tell you the truth. A man will be separated from the members of his own household. And he goes on and on and on because in its very basic sense, the word is a sharp, double-edged sword. It gets put into a situation to help you distinguish your thoughts from God's thoughts. Your mother's will for your life from God's will for your life. Your brother's will for your life from your life. In the second instance, I want you to consider the way in which this sanctify verb comes up in light of the context we're talking about. 
He put Israel in a land and told Israel to remove from it seven nations that did not belong there because they were wicked. And he said, it's not going to happen in a day. But I will do it little by little. If you trust me, if you cling to me, no matter how big they are, no matter how strong they are, I will drive them all out no matter where they hide because it is a process. And at the end of the process, they would trust their God more and see that he did a great thing among them. He delivered them from Egypt relatively quickly. How fast did they forget it? They're still struggling with those same nations that Joshua failed to destroy today. When Messiah actually fixes that problem, how happy do you think they'll be? Are you really different? Say, I have these areas and nobody understands them. Your king does. And he has said, take it a bite at a time. But take it. Say, I'm trying. Well, only you and Jesus will really know that. I'm not sure the rest of us will rightly understand that fruit. But you will give an account for it. And I want you to be prepared for that. Turn with me to Hebrews 4. Those opening scriptures, we saw a process by men by which men were told to eliminate the enemy little by little so that they could get give God the glory in making them righteous and they would not be overcome by animalistic pride. Now Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active. <laughs> Some of you need to knock the dust off of it. Living and active. Sometimes the reason scripture is not coming to you is because you have not put it in your spirit for him to pull out. You know, Hebrews mentions six things that are elementary teachings. Things like laying on of hands, baptisms, repentance from dead works. We gave you 30 minutes to prepare and then asked you to stand up here. How well would you do with the six topics that he lists? Because he says that's for infants who need milk. But if we measure ourselves by ourselves and compare ourselves with those that are around us, we're heroes in our own eyes. And friends, measure yourselves by the word of God. Have you treated it like it was a precious pearl? Are you allowing it to work in your life? Are you simply praying the prayer of Jabez? Eric, what do you have against Jabez? Not a thing. I think it's an awesome prayer. I just think it is ridiculously absurd that every lost businessman that I know put it on their wall. And they're not interested in anything that the word has to say or the process by which a man is made holy. They simply saw something that promised them expansion. So they've tried to take something which is truly sanctified, set apart for God's use, and use it as a gospel of gain and greed. Nobody ever praised the prayer of Asa. <laughs> Nobody ever praised the prayer of Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will but yours. You want the prayer of Asa? Oh men, oh, oh God, do not let man prevail against you. I stand before this vast army today, but I rely upon you. Oh God, do not let them prevail against you. Do you know, outnumbered more than three to one, they crushed every single person there because he understood the battle was God's and not his. Where is that prayer hanging on people's wall? Oh, it didn't involve money. It involved you trusting. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. If you are not reading the word and feeling like, wow, my very thoughts are wrong. Something might be wrong. Or maybe you're just that sanctified. Maybe you're just ahead of the rest of us. Friends, when's the last time you got on your face, repented, and went and apologized to someone? Has your spouse apologized to you five times in the last year and you've not apologized once? What does that say about you? I'm always right, and they're obviously wrong. I bet. 
was the last time you really begged somebody for forgiveness because you knew that you needed it? See, if those things are never a part of your human experience, tell me, what kind of salvation did you really receive? Have you not been forgiven all your debts and you're choking people who owe you? The word penetrates even to dividing soul and spirits, joints and marrow. Now, there are no orthopods in here tonight, but I am told that when you have to drill into a bone to separate the marrow from the bone so that you can do something like put a rod in a femur, not a really present, pleasant process. What do they call that? Serial debridement? I know a man who was experiencing that, and he was an unhappy man before, but a much more unhappy man while it was happening. When you take Passover as a Jew, you eat bitter herbs right along with the Passover lamb. There is nothing easy about Christianity. If it was, the whole world would be saved. It is a free gift that cost you everything. And you were supposed to count that cost before you got in. Now that you're in, the time for counting the cost is over. Put on your big girl, your big boy pants, and do what you're called to do. Let me ask you something. Have you ever gotten anywhere in the kingdom by whining? No. Me either. But it will prolong the difficulty that you're in. I promise that. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I might not rightly be able to judge your thoughts and attitudes. Might not. If Jesus doesn't show me, I really just don't know. I might presume, and that makes me sin. But the Word judges it correctly. I am not supposed to be put in the position of having to hear from God about your thoughts. You know what? You're supposed to be being ministered to by the Word daily. I'm not supposed to be in the position of having to correct you and be arbitrators between you. The Word is supposed to be doing that daily. Paul got so mad with a church that was spirit-filled and gifted in every way about this very subject that he basically said that they were still in diapers and a bunch of infantile Christians. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know why? He faced every nation he's asking you to face. He looked them in the eye and he beat them all, but he knew it. You know he looked in the eye of death and wept. Why would he cry? Why would he cry knowing that he was there to raise Lazarus? Because he feels exactly what we feel. He's not unable to sympathize. His presence in your life is supposed to divide that which is holy from that which is unholy. So that after all the shaking, what remains is of him. If it is not dividing in you sinful nature from God's nature, you are not being made holy. And without holiness... No one will see the Lord. That is abundantly clear in the Scripture. In fact, he says two believers that he says were spirit-filled, said they possessed every gift. Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. You look at what he lists as unrighteous. That's the scary part. Those who spread discord. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit empowering the Word to divide out the evil sinful nature in you from the righteousness of Christ in you. None of us have obtained perfection, but we are dependent upon Jesus to help us since the nations we face are stronger than we are. The same God who saved us will complete His work in us if we let Him. A non-teachable spirit is one of the most difficult things you could have in the kingdom. Maybe the only thing that would trump it is a hatred for authority. And if you should happen to possess 
both, well, we're all praying for a miracle for you. Turn with me to John 17. While you're turning to John 17, I'm going to read to you from Hebrews. I want to read to you Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish or divide between good and evil. Do you understand that it takes constant use of the Word of God to be considered mature? And a mature believer rightly divides in themselves and then outside of themselves what is good and evil. One sign of an immature believer is that they try to rightly divide good from evil outside of themselves and ignore it inside of themselves. The process works the other way around. Through constant interaction with the Word, we learn to distinguish that which is good from that which is evil. And we become mature because we are being sanctified. As we set it apart, we are devoting some to destruction. Some to destruction and some to life. We're crucifying some and resurrecting others. Constantly, it's a process. It's the process of sanctification. Paul was so worried that somebody would think he was saying he had obtained it that he actually said in one of his letters, not that I've obtained all this, but I'm striving for it. I'm striving for it. Friends, I haven't obtained this. I know you haven't obtained it. But we need to be striving for this every day. God has done some amazing, outstanding things, some of which I can tell you about, and some, like the Bush programs, are secret even in success. We've gotten on our face in this room and prayed with men and the secrets of our hearts laid bare. Had the potential to take our ball and go separate ways and ended up unified. Not just one night or two nights or three nights or four, but this kind of thing is happening in our ministry constantly. I have x-rays of a young boy who did not have ribs and now have ribs on my computer right now. Yes. And none of those things make us mature. Rightly dividing that which is good in us from that which is evil. Recognizing the Roman 7 war that is raging in us, but putting to death the sinful nature and refusing to live in it. That makes us mature. And if you can do it in yourself, then you start to see clearly to help your brothers do it. Waiting for giants to fall, friends. Waiting for giants to fall. John 17, starting the 15th verse. My prayer is not that you... If you were suddenly caught up, what would you call that? Uh, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. It seems that the whole world is fascinated with not having to conquer giants. Deliver me from the process, Lord God. Don't force me to be sanctified. Don't make me fight for anything. Lord, don't make me suffer. I know you learned obedience through what you suffered, but don't make me do it. Lord, deliver me from the process. The process makes you holy. The process purifies the bride. You do not have a Revelation 21 bride if you do not have the previous 20 chapters of Revelation, friends. Mm -hmm. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is set apart. It comes from the word holy, hagios. His truth working in you will begin to divide your thoughts from his thoughts. It will begin to divide the good that you think is good and is really evil because it's not God's will from the good that really is good. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. He set himself apart so that we could be sanctified. He separated himself from the Father so that we could be sanctified. Jesus died so that this process could begin in you. 
If he did not die, he couldn't go to the Father. If he didn't go to the Father, he wouldn't pour himself out into you. And if he didn't pour himself out into you, you would have no hope against the ravenous beast that is your sinful nature. But you do have hope. His truth has penetrated your spirit. It is there to distinguish good from evil. So don't stand back like the second scripture said and say the giants are too big for us and they're too strong for us. Because as Deuteronomy said, do not be terrified by them for the Lord your God who is among you is great and awesome. I have one more scripture that I want to share with you. The very last one and then you can go do whatever it is that you want to do. But I hope you listen to the last scripture. It's in Joshua 3. Joshua's name was Hoshea. Hoshea means salvation. His name got changed to Yah Hoshea, which is Yahweh's salvation. And when they said that quickly, it was Yahoshua. She said it in the northern part of Israel, it was Yeshu. Southern part of Israel, Yeshua. All the same word. So forgive me for just a moment for not reading this quite correctly. We're not going to say Joshua. We're going to read it as the shadow and type is. Jesus told the people, consecrate yourselves. That word consecrate is sanctified, is set apart. Make holy. Begin the process of rightly dividing so that you can be holy. Jesus told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The most amazing thing is that the day before David cut off the giant's head, it looked like the giant's head could not be cut off. And the day before Jesus, or our father, split the Red Sea, it looked like it could not be done. And the day before the walls fell at Jericho, it looked like it could not be done, and a thousand other giants just like it. So forgive me if I am not going to stand and defend God with you about what he cannot do in your life. If you will set yourselves apart, let his word penetrate your very spirit, consecrate yourselves. He will do amazing things tomorrow. And if you put that sign beside your bed every day you wake up, it'll say he will do it tomorrow. And that will carry you as many days as you need until you see that giant fall. But one day, he will have done it. Y'all yeah. stand to your feet. I've seen irreconcilable differences reconciled. Not just once or twice, but many times. Not just in others' lives and my own. I've lived long enough to see somebody with vitriol persecute me that now worships God alongside me. I've seen men that I did not think were fit for the kingdom outshine me in the kingdom. I will not stand and be told what God cannot do. I will not stand and be told what he is not doing. I will not be reminded how small God is because it is not true. And I choose to focus on something else. Saints, I want to encourage you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. Our God is capable of amazing things. And the only limits that are placed on him are residing within your free will. Have an open mind. Figure out how a word like this might apply to you. Not who is he speaking to. It's got to be her. It's got to be him. How might it apply to you? Because the truth is, the more we apply this message, the better off we all are. We will be better husbands. We will be better wives. Better friends, better daughters, better mothers. We will be better soldiers in our king's army. Pray. Mighty God, Lord, we thank you for your piercing words. 
Lord, you have a way of wounding because a friend wounds and an enemy multiplies kisses. But mighty God, I would so much rather be wounded by your word than be crushed by it. You are the balm and Gilead. You are the only hope that I have for my very broken spirit and soul. And Lord, I am oppressed by all of the things that I am not doing right. But I have hope. I have such hope because I see how much you have already done in me. I can look at my brothers and sisters and see how much you have done in them. And I have so much hope. Lord, I have put my hope in you. And your psalm says, I will not be dismayed. I choose to cling to you today. To cast down every competing thought, I will make it obedient to my knowledge of you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 All right.